Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you in the Lord's house. What a privilege, right? It's astonishing to me, you know, you, you drive, when you drive out of your neighborhood and you see all these people and, and you, just, you just think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, right? How can they not be in God's house on God's day, right? How's that possible? Well, we know, we understand. But I often, I tell Karen all the time, I, I don't know how they survive. I don't know how they live. I don't know what, I don't know what their hope is. I don't, I I, I just don't understand how they process life at all. I don't. I mean, I would, be in a, I would be in a ditch every day if I didn't know the Lord and I couldn't know Him and love Him and learn more about Him and walk with Him. So most of this sermon is Brad's fault. Um, yeah, it's his fault. Yeah, he brought up the ecclesia. And it's never left my mind um, since that day he reminded. Of course, I, I had learned that in seminary, but I had forgotten. I'm an old man. I forget things. But most of you know what it means by now. It's a people called out of the world to God. And that's what we are. Not many <laughs> here this morning. But we are the called out ones. And if you just meditate on that, it's a beautiful thing, right? It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it'll fill your heart and your soul and your mind just to meditate on that. Jesus said, my people are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. He also said, my people are not of the world because I chose them out of it, right? Ecclesia. I chose them out. They don't belong anymore. And we know that, don't we? All of, those, all of us in here who are born again, we know we don't belong here anymore. And day by day, it becomes increasingly tiresome to be here. Especially for us older ones. It's increasingly tiresome. Because Paul is right. It would be very much better. <laughs> it would be very much better to be with the Lord, in every way that ultimately matters, we literally have less than nothing in common with the worldlings, as Charles Spurgeon used to call the unbeliever. We don't think, we don't hope, we don't plan, we don't desire, we don't dream like them. It's all different for us. We're looking at Yahweh on an on a ongoing basis, on a daily basis. And everything's changed for us. We are all tangled up with God, as I think it was John MacArthur. We're all tangled up with God. And that makes our lives different. It makes our vocabulary different. It makes our internet surfing different. It makes everything different. We're all tangled up with God. That's what Paul told the Colossians, right? One of my favorite texts, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you have been raised up with Christ, big if, Keep what? You know, keep what? Seeking the things above. It's what we do. It's our vocation. It's our job description. No matter what we're doing or what context we're in, we're always seeking the things above. He continues, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Amen? That's how we process life. 
our God view, our new heaven and new earth view, it dominates our worldview. He is our worldview. Jesus Christ is our worldview. We factor the things above into every significant decision we make. Obviously, that includes how we think, spend, invest, and give our money. From the text Joe read, some of you have surmised that I'm going to preach to you about money, and you are correct. I'm going to preach to you about money and about giving. We know God gives a lot of ink to this. If you've read your Bible, if you're familiar with your Bible, a lot of ink to money and wealth and giving. 16 of the Christ's 38 parables touch on money and wealth. Jesus taught more about money and wealth than about heaven and hell combined. One theologian estimated 15% of everything Jesus said related to money. The Bible contains more than 2,000 references to money and wealth, twice as many as the total references to faith and prayer. So why does God give so much ink in His Word about money? Well, you know why. I don't even have to tell you Because it can become a God to you. And you can begin to trust in it and love it and want it more than God. Also, it just has this insidious way of enslaving our hearts. And if you're not constantly fighting against it, it will overwhelm you. you man, it's what we say all the time. You've got to be looking at God. You look at God and money is meaningless. So, in keeping with our current series concerning the hallmarks of a healthy church, we certainly need to understand what God teaches about money and giving. So I want to begin this morning with a true story. It's a story from George Mueller's autobiography. As you know, Mueller was a 19th century English minister. On December 10th, 1835, he wrote in his journal... He's talking about one woman. He says, this one sister has been a great source of blessing to me as she gave generously and radically, although she has very little. Now, this woman is a seamstress and she earned meager wages. She lived essentially at subsistence level. When her father died, he left her 400 pounds, a significant sum of money in that era she paid off her father's debts, gave 100 pounds to her mother, and then gave 100 pounds to Mueller. Here's Mueller's story. He writes, Before accepting the money, I had a long conversation with her. I needed to know her motives and whether she might have given the money emotionally without having counted the cost to herself. Mueller continues, I had not conversed long with this beloved sister before I found that she was, a, I love this, a quiet, a calm, and a considered, I love this, a considered follower of Christ. She desired, in spite of what human reasoning might say, to act according to the words of our Lord. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Mueller continued to question her 
And she finally, she got her fill and she said, My Lord Jesus gave his last drop of blood for me. Shall I not give him the hundred pounds? <laughs> she was quite insistent. Of course, Mueller in self-defense accepted the offering, <laughs> right? In self-defense, he accepted it. She had indeed counted the cost. She believed what Jesus said about laying up treasures in heaven, Luke chapter 12. She was all about sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully, as you heard Joe read, 2 Corinthians 9. It wasn't about, this wasn't about law giving. It wasn't religion. She loved him. And this is the essence of giving. It's just worship. It's just worship. It's always worship. And don't give anything if you don't love him. Stop. It's just worship. That's what it is. It's always that for the true believer. You know, to believe and obey all that God says about money and giving, you have to almost have one foot in eternity. And if you don't almost have, if you don't almost have one foot in eternity, you, it's almost impossible to, to take Jesus at his words. Because it's counterintuitive to the flesh. You almost have to see it. You, 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 almost, have to, you, yeah, you almost have to taste it. You can't give like God calls the New Testament Christian to give. Which is, give whatever's in your heart. You heard the text read. That's the title of the sermon. Whatever's in your heart. Now it'd be easier if he gave us a formula. But God says, do what's in your heart. Old Testament, New Testament, and we'll talk more as we go through some scriptures here. Mueller seamstress, she could see it. <laughs> she wasn't giving up anything. It was an investment. <laughs> it was an investment that would return to her how many fold? A hundredfold? What's that? What's a hundredfold? Who knows? 10,000%. Ever got 10,000% on an investment? I doubt it. I doubt it. So it seems wise to spend a little bit of time looking at what the Bible teaches about giving this morning. You know, the question for us as a Baptist church, obviously, is in the South. I grew up in one. Is it all about tithing? You know, that's bam, 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 bam. You know, growing up in a Baptist church, it was just, you know, it was just getting slapped all the time. You got a tithe, man. It's all about the tithe. Is it? Is it? In the New Testament? What does the Bible actually say to the New Testament Christian? What did God say to the, the, the Jew in the Old Testament? What does God say to us in the New Testament? Is it the same? Is it different? Does it matter? So some of the things I want to talk about. Initially, I just want to, and, and, and here's the groundwork, right? Here's the groundwork for those of you, and I know most of you know these things. But here's the groundwork for any and all who want to consider being a radical giver. It all belongs to God. It's not yours. And this is the biggest problem. You know, we start to think it's ours. It's not yours. Not one penny is yours. You know what the Bible teaches. 
David writes, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. God says, for the world is mine and all it contains. Now, if you want the text, the, the biblical references, email me. I'll send you my notes. The psalmist says, the earth is full of your possessions. I love Job, uh, I love Job 41, 11. God says, whatever is under the entire heaven is mine. It's not yours. A lot of the time the problem with giving is you think it's yours. It's not yours. You're a steward. You're only, you're like an employee managing God's funds that he has entrusted to you. It's as simple as that. This is not complicated. This is not complicated you know, this reality right here, this first reality, it interjects a ton of discipline into your financial life. It's not mine. None of it's mine. And so consequently, if I am a steward, I am going to consult with God on any major financial move because it's his money. It's his money. I got to talk to him. First, you know, John MacArthur said it right. God is the sole proprietor of everything you have. It's really important for us to understand this. If you believe this to be true, you will live differently than if you don't. If you believe it's God's, you're, you're going to act differently. If you, believe, if you really believe you're a steward, you're only a manager. If you really believe that, you're going to live differently. You're going to spend differently. You're going to invest differently. And oh yeah, you're going to give differently. If you believe it. Secondly, money is amoral. It's morally neutral. Money is neither good nor bad in itself. What does the Bible say? It's the love of it that is the root of all sorts of evil. It's not wrong to have money. It's wrong to love money. It's wrong to forget. It's not yours. It's wrong to not take God into account in every significant financial decision you make. Pray about it. Pray about it. Thirdly, God has given us the ability to acquire and the right to possess wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18, I, I love it in the NASB. It is the Lord your God who gives you the power to make wealth. And you thought it was just your smarts. Right? And your industry and your energy. God did that. You wouldn't have a penny to your name if God hadn't gifted you. The ability to earn it. All that we have and all that we are is by the good and gracious hand of God. Fourthly, the Bible, um, the biblical principle for gaining money is, you know, it's work. We, we're, we're called to work. This is a gift of God as well. We find much uh, satisfaction in, in a job well done. And he means for us to find that satisfaction. We are called to work as, who knows, as we're, we're called to work as a disgruntled employee. We're called to work as unto the Lord, right? 
So we're always, even if we got a crummy job and we have a crummy boss, right? <laughs> Which we've all had at one point or another, I suspect. <laughs> we work as unto God, right? We work as unto God. This is how God gives me what I need. It's how he does it. Yeah, he could have just rained bread down from heaven. In fact, we know he can do it. He's done it before. He could do that. That's not how he does it. We are called to work. You know what the Bible says. If a man will not work, let him not what? Eat. This is what God says. We're called to... Obviously, in our work, support our families. Again, the Bible, 1 Timothy 5, if anyone does not provide for his own household, he has denied the faith. He's worse than an infidel. He's worse than an unbeliever. Right? So, what does the Bible instruct the Christian to do with money that he earns through the job God has given him and the ability that God has given him? There's only three things. Only three things the Bible talks about. Provide for the needs of your family. Pay your taxes and give. I mean, how simple can it be, right? It's just real simple, right? How could we possibly mess this up? This is so simple. Unfortunately, it's the easiest thing in the world to mess up because we get in the way. We're not hearing God. We're not listening to God. We're not in His Word, you know? We're not, we don't understand it's all His, and we're not understanding all the promises of God to those who bring, you know, the offering in. And they're manifold. We don't have time to cover all those this morning, but the promises are manifold. Of course, this is where the goofy prosperity gospel comes from. It's wrong. What they preach is wrong, that God's a slot machine. It's wrong. It's not only wrong, it's blasphemous. But there are manifold promises. God says, bring me, an, bring me the offering. Right? Now, bless you. It's just the promise of God. So what does the world tell us about money? You got to do, the world's got two messages. What is it? Buy it or hoard it. That's the message of the world. You need something shinier, newer, better. You need that. You got to have that. Your neighbors have it. You need it. You got to get that. Or you got to hoard it up. You got to have piles and piles and piles of money. Right. I've been, you know, I'm a, I have a CPA background, you know, and and I have found out as an old man, I used to listen to all the guys when I was young. And I think, yeah, yeah, OK, yeah, I guess they're right. You know, no, they're wrong. You almost have to unlearn everything about money when you get when you get converted. You know, you got to hoard up. It, this is the message I always got. Got to hoard up, hoard up, hoard up, hoard up. Not that we're to be unwise, but we don't have to hoard up. We can be open handed. Right. And I can say as an old man to some of you young people, right? Um, don't listen to the world. Listen to your creator. So what does the Bible explicitly say about tithing? So I want to say at the outset, I'm not against tithing. It's a wonderful thing. I'm not against it. I'm saying that in my view, and I think this is Brad's view. I don't know what Joe's view is. In my view... It's not what the Bible's teaching the New Testament Christian. Okay? So I'm going to walk you through just a little bit of that. 
Again, it's the title of the sermon, Do What's in Your Heart. So I'm going to ask you, what's in there when it comes to giving your money? What's in there? Because isn't it true? You're going to do what's in your heart. It's why God says, do what's in your heart. He says it Old Testament, New Testament. And so, you know, th there's, going to be no, there's going to be no apologies or excuses or extenuating circumstances on the last day. We will have done what was in our heart. God will know it and we will know it. We'll know it. As he does as well. I do want to say you know, some, there are good men. I think one of my favorite theologians, John Piper, I think he believes in the tithe for the New Testament Christian. I understand his arguments. I simply don't find them compelling. So, not against tithing. You want to tithe? If you're doing it with a happy heart, do it, by all means. <laughs> if you're doing it grudgingly or under compulsion, you should stop because God hates that. God hates it. Vain worship, obligatory worship. It's an oxymoron, obligatory worship. If it's not flowing, God's not interested. You know, it's all relational, isn't it? Giving is just like everything else in Christianity. It's just relational, right? It's just part of my relationship with the living God. So, I want you to understand, Piper, again, Piper holds to it. He's not dogmatic. He holds to it pretty loosely, but he believes the New Testament Christian is called to tithing, which we all understand is the first tenth, right? But we do learn something from the Old Testament if we take a look at it. So I'm going to look at three little phases here. Creation to Moses, Moses to Jesus, Jesus into the church age. First, from creation to Moses, we see several offerings in the, in the book of Genesis before the, the tithe is ever mentioned. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel bring an offering. Genesis 8, Noah makes an offering. Genesis 12, Abraham builds an altar and makes an offering. This seems to just be free will. There's been no command. But there's something in the human heart, even among the pagans at this time, they felt it was their obligation to bring an offering to God. So, even their false gods. Genesis 14, the, the tithe appears for the first time. Abraham tithes the spoils of battle to Melchizedek, priestly king of Salem. Abraham is simply complying with the cultural norm here. There's been no command from God to give a tithe. This is what was done in the Near East to someone who was of higher rank than you. In Genesis 28, we see Jacob kind of do a deal with God, seemingly. And all that God promised to Jacob, Jacob in turn promised to offer a tenth. Again, we've not seen a command about the tithe yet. This is what was going on in the Near East. Secondly, from Moses to Jesus, there are two aspects to giving under Moses. The required giving, the tithes, and... Free will offerings. This is what's going on in Moses' era. Uh, Leviticus 27, the first tenth belonged to God and it supported the priesthood. Okay? The Jew gave how many? How many tithes? Who knows? Three. 
Hey, if you want to tithe, bring in your 30%. Right? If you're, if you're an Old Testament tither, that's great. That's a great number. Of course, in the Old Testament, they gave one tithe every, what was it? Third year. So it's actually 23 and a third percent. Is what the, it's what the Old Testament Jew was, was uh, expected to give to the theocracy. It was their taxes. This is how God supported the theocracy with these three tithes. Deuteronomy 14, the second tithe was to support the, uh, the, the festivals that were commanded by God. The third tithe, which was collected every third year, was used to care for orphans, widows, and the foreigner. There was some other giving that the Old Testament Jew was responsible for. There was some profit sharing. There was a profit sharing tax, a temple tax, and as you know, the seventh year uh, land Sabbath. All of this combined was over 25%. Again, it financed the theocracy. You know what a theocracy is. God's at the top. God's the king. These are merely the taxes of the Old Testament Jews. It's one reason God said to, said to them in, in Malachi 3 that you've been robbing me. You're robbing me of my taxes. I'm the king. And you're robbing me of offerings. So he says both of those things in Malachi, as I recall. Now, what about this free will giving under Moses? I love Exodus um, chapters 35 and 36 on this. I'm going to turn there. You don't need to follow me. Uh, I'm just going to share a couple of verses with you. Um, this was in, in relation to constructing and furnishing the tabernacle. God had called the Jews to raise a contribution, right? Raise a contribution. You go over here to Exodus 35, and I'm just going to read a couple, take a couple of excerpts here from a couple of verses. God says, take, take among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is what? Willing of heart. Willing of heart. It, it, okay, I want, you to hear, I want you to hear this. Old Testament, New Testament. It's all about this. You don't need a calculator. You don't have to do percentages. God set us free to love Him back as much as we dare. You want to get freed up? <laughs> get open-handed with God. Verse 5 of Exodus 35. A willing heart. Verse 21, he says, if your heart's been stirred, he says, if your spirit's been moved, bring a contribution. Verse 22, the hearts that were moved brought in a, a, a contribution. The, woman, the women whose hearts were stirred Verse 29, their hearts were moved. They brought in a free will offering to God. Uh, 36, 2, uh, their hearts were stirred. They brought in a free will offering. Verse 3, verse 5 of Exodus 36. The workman said to Moses, we're getting too much stuff. I always wanted to be a pastor of a church and say, stop. We have too much stuff. I always wanted to say that. <laughs> Moses got to say it. They were bringing in too much. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the whole camp. Stop 
bringing in the contribution. Thus, the people were restrained from bringing in any more. Now, that's what it should look like. The people have to be restrained. He shed his last drop of blood. Should I not give him the hundred pounds? Sometimes we're so far off on this. And I, and I confess it. The thing about preaching about money is you have to give more money. If you preach about it, you realize I have to give more. Not that, oh, I'm under a burden. I want to. I want to. I love these texts. Now, this is God honoring, God pleasing, giving. It's love, it's thankfulness, it's joy, it's faith, it's adoration, it's awe, it's wonder, it's worship. It's just this overflow out of the heart to God. You remember when they were talking about building the temple, 1 Chronicles 29. Um, the people gave willingly with a whole heart. You remember how David talked about it? I love how David talks about it here. He says, now with, with all my ability, I'm going to ask, is that true of how you give? Is it with all your ability? Oh, well, I did the calculation. It's what I learned when I was 12. So I did the calculation, and I'm never going to think about it again. David says, with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God. And here it is, in my delight... It's in my delight that I do this. Hey, if, you, if you're bringing in a tithe but you hate it, stop. I'm just going to tell you, stop. In his delight, in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver, I give to the house of my God. David's just like this seamstress. It's flowing out of... The heart. So we see two kinds of giving in the Old Testament. Required giving, three ties to finance the theocracy, free will giving, giving to God from the heart. Thirdly, from Christ into the church age. And in summary fashion, I could simply say that the New Testament says the same thing the Old Testament says. Pay your taxes and give. The taxes, again, were the three tithes of the Old Testament Jew... And giving was the free will giving, again, of the Old Testament Jew. Some of you may not see this parallel I'm making between taxes in the Old Testament and taxes in the New Testament context. That's okay. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with me on that. But I, I would caution that you should agree with me on the fact that God keeps talking about the heart here. You can't disagree with me on that. It's documented again and again and again and again. Old Testament and New Testament. So, from Jesus through the church age. Well, we know what Jesus said. Uh, we know he paid the temple tax, right? The whole thing with Peter, remember? Sent Peter to go fish and the fish was, had the tax. Of course, he was exempt. He didn't have to pay the tax. He's the king. But, you know, just for appearance sake, he paid the tax. You remember what he said in Matthew 22, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Just do that. And we know what Romans 13 tells us. 
Paul says, Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. The authority of God rests in the government. It's just like the theocracy in the Old Testament. Paul continues, he goes on to say that human government is a minister of God for your good, for because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers or servants of God, render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due. Christian, God commands you to pay your taxes. And I'm sure that all of you do, or they would come and take you away. Because we're going to have... How many new IRS agents? I forgot. It's like hundreds, right? They're hiring hundreds of IRS agents. So, I don't know why I said that, but they're coming after us. So, just as the Old Testament Jew was commanded by God to bring in the three tithes to support the theocracy, the New Testament Christian is commanded by God to pay their taxes uh, to support the God-ordained secular government. I, I, I'm not sure how you can miss this parallel. But, hey, you don't have to agree with me on, on that. That's, a, that's okay. Um, let's look at the four times the word tithe is used in the New Testament. First two times, Jesus is talking about the self-righteous and self-justification of the Pharisees. He's condemning them. He's condemning them. It has nothing to do with, with, with giving inside the church. Okay. He's condemning them because they tithe their mint and dill and cumin. But what does he say over there in Luke 11? But you have disregarded the love of God. Right? So there's no point in doing one if you're, if, if you're not engaged in the other. If you're not entangled in a consuming, captivated love of God, stop bringing your money. I don't need it. Does God need your money? No. He doesn't. But I'm going to say to you as a mature Christian, you really need to bring it. It's all relational. It's just another outlet, right? It's just another vehicle of worship to God. That's all it is. Just another outlet for us. So here's the downside to obligatory giving, right? The, the, the Pharisees were meticulous. They probably spent half the time measuring out their mint and dill and cumin. They were precise about it. Oh, we don't want to give too much to God. And certainly not too little because I'm a self-righteous Pharisee. I don't know how you tithe out, you know, mint and dill and cumin. I don't know what that's like. I guess you have to have a knife or something. and you, I don't know what you do. How do you, how you know it's 10%? It sounds way too complicated for me. I love what MacArthur says about this. You're going to like this. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That's it. That's it. That is the biblical teaching on giving. The other time that the word tithe appears in the New Testament is in Hebrews. Again, it relates to Abraham, Melchizedek, Old Testament account that we noted earlier. It doesn't have anything to do. It's not, it, it, it's not in the context of New Testament church giving. So that's it. That's all the references in the New Testament about the tithe. God's pattern for giving or offering has, always, has never been the tithe. It wasn't in the Old Testament. That was the taxes. It's not in the New Testament. Bring what's in your heart. That's it. 
It's not complicated. Again, let me say, I'm not against the principle of tithing. The principle is good. It's a good place to start. Some of you say, I, I, can, I can still remember when I first, when I crashed into Malachi chapter 3, I think. And I thought, how can I, I can never do this, man. I was mortgaged. I was in debt. I had a wife, a stay-at-home wife, a dog, a cat, and three finches. I mean, how could I ever give money to the church? Now, I, you know, I, I grew up in the church, so I, I was used to throwing in a buck or five bucks. Or, and I hated it, but I did it because I knew I was supposed to. I didn't like it. I wasn't converted then. I didn't like it. I can still remember thinking, how could I ever do this? <laughs> can I say, as I wrestled through that early on, I have been giving at least the first tenth and more for 40 years. And can I say that Karen and I were enabled to give a bunch of money to the church in Milan because of God's goodness to us. And I've never lacked for anything. I've never lacked for one thing. He keeps His promises. Now, if you're doing it if you're a lawgiver, I, 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 don't think the, I don't think the promise kicks in there. If you're a lawgiver or if you're a slot machine giver, if you expect God to, you know, back pay you, if that's why you're giving, if that's the bottom line, it's, it ain't going to work. It's not going to work. So, in my view, here's the biblical command regarding giving. Old Testament, New Testament. I'll just read it to you from Exodus 35, 4 and 5. Moses says to the people, whoever is willing of heart, bring in a contribution to God. That's what it always is. And let me just interject. Don't ever, don't ever think in your mind you're giving to the church. It's too small. You're not giving to the church. You know, I hear people a lot of times. I, I was on a committee one time, and the woman said, oh, the church has plenty of money. I'm not going to give. And it's just completely wrong. You're not giving to the church. You're giving to God through the church. This is God's offering. And it's holy. And it's meaningful. And I love Him. Try and stop me from bringing an offering, right? And then you heard Joe read 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one do just what is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's Mueller's seamstress. It's Mueller seamstress. And no one can talk you out of it. <laughs> she couldn't be talked out of it. She could not be talked out of it. God's command is clear. Willing heart, whole heart, not under compulsion. Cheerfully giving. If that's how you're giving, you're obeying the command of God. If that's not how you're giving, you've messed it up. So, some of us need to repent maybe in here this morning. I like the way MacArthur says it. The believer has complete discretion. You don't want to give much to God? Okay. You lose. But if that's what's in your heart. You want to give it all to God? Okay. You want to send, as Randy Alcorn says, you want to send it on to, into heaven? You want to send it forward? 
You know, you don't get to keep anything. You, when we die, it all stays here. We lose it all. It's why giving radically is, is really, you know, pretty, uh, pretty savvy. It's not that money's bad. You just don't get to keep any of it, ultimately. But you can send it on, as Alcorn says, right? You can send it on. If you're still principally guided by a calculator, I'm just going to... I'm just going to lovingly say you might want to move on from that. You might consider moving on from that. What's in your heart? What's in there? Is it a calculation? Is it a formula? Or is it I love him? I love him. He shed his last drop of blood for me. Shall I not give him the hundred pounds? <laughs> well, of course you should. Right? Of course you should. Yeah, formula would be easier. But for us, it's relational. It makes it more difficult. You can't, you know, it's something I revisit regularly, right? And sometimes I revisit it and I'm, I'm aghast that I've gone so long without revisiting it. And I'm aghast, you know, at, at how meager my giving has been, our, our giving, Karen and my giving. He shed his last drop of blood. I hope you consider that. So we're not to give under compulsion. We're not modern-day Pharisees seeking to justify ourselves. We love Him. So there are two dangers, in my view, with respect to the way tithing is practiced in your average Baptist church, at least the way I experienced it. One, we can become very Pharisaical. We can become very proud of ourselves. And I, I can say to you, I've experienced this personally in my younger days. I can be, you just very self-satisfied. Hey, I mean, I'm a tither, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be a deacon soon because I tithe. Yeah, that was the primary, that was the primary uh, issue in, in the church I grew up in. Hey, if you're a big giver, it doesn't matter if you know God or love God. If you happen to bring money to the church, oh, we'll make you a deacon. Right? Which in your average Baptist church comparable, is, is comparable to... The elders. So, it's easy to become a Pharisee. The second thing, which I think is probably more harmful, and I'm gonna, I'll just quote John MacArthur here. Tithing in the church often hinders what, could, what you could do by making you think you're done. Now, this is the thing I've experienced as a pastor for many years, right? People think, they're tithe, they, they think when they tithe, it's over. And, and usually for us, it's not the, it's not the three tithes the Jews paid. It's, it's, the, it's the first tenth. It's just that one tithe. Now, I've paid my tithe, and it's over. Don't come to me for money. Hey, I'm not, as long as I'm here, I'll never ask you for money. I never asked anybody for money in Milan, ever. I preached on it once a year, just so I could remind them of all the promises, right? I never asked anybody for a penny. We didn't pass the offering plate. It was sitting over in the corner. And people would just put money in or not put money in. That's between them and God. It's between you and God, right? It's between you and God. If you think, you, if you think you're done with the first tenth, all I'm going to say is you lose in that equation. You lose in that equation. Piper's right, in authentic love and worship calculation, 
vanishes. So don't ever be done. Here's the deal. Here's my, here's my counsel to you. Sow as bountifully as you dare, right? Give as big as your faith. Give as big as your love. Give as big as your worship. That's, that's, how, that's how the true, born-again, mature, biblically literate Christian gives. That's how we give. Those are the things that get factored in. I don't need my calculator to do the math on that. So the Christian is commanded to do what's in his heart. How much love for Christ do you have in your heart? How much worship is in your heart? How much faith, joy, and adoration is in your heart? How much anticipation is in your heart? Because, you know, it, 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 in part it comes down to all the promises you read in the Bible. We'll talk about that maybe some next week, right? All the promises you read in the Bible about those who open their hands to God. It's just amazing about, the, about what awaits us, the inheritance that awaits us. It's just astonishing. Oh, a 10,000% return. <laughs> it's crazy. My Lord Jesus gave his last drop of blood for me. Shall I not give him the hundred pounds? I'm going to close. This seamstress, she was a lot like these crazy Macedonians. You guys know the text, 2 Corinthians 8, 1. I've always loved this text. 2 Corinthians 8, 1. Um, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, uh, they gave of their own accord. Begging, I've never been begged. I'd love to be begged, you know, as a pastor. It'd be cool. Begging with us much entreaty for, uh, for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. And this, not only uh, as we had expected, but they first, and here it is, here it is right here. Here's, here's the whole key to giving. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Now, if, you, if you're in that real relationship, right, this, this giving thing, it's, it's just not a, it's not a problem. But they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. Do you have an appetite for that? You know, I, I'll be honest, what I have an appetite for, appetite for it, I'm not sure I've ever gotten there. I'm pretty sure I've never gotten there. But I have this appetite for it because that sounds really good to me. Right? You know why? <sighs> because he does what he does. Right? <laughs> he does what he does. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Uh, Piper tells a story he heard firsthand from a missionary in Haiti. There was a guy in the church. They had a, some kind of special service, and he sent, forward, he sent uh, ahead a $13 U.S. offering, which was huge for this church. But he didn't come. So the pastor looked him up uh, later that week, and he said, Edmund, he said, man, 13 bucks, that's crazy. That's crazy. What are you doing? 13 bucks? He said, I sold my horse. He said, well, what? why didn't you come to church? I don't have a proper shirt. All I'm saying here, <laughs> all I'm saying here is I've got work to do here. I don't know about you. I've still got a lot more work to do here. 
I don't think we ever arrive here until we're like that lady who throws in her last cent, right? Remember? And Jesus, you know, some theologians say, well, that was, that was wrong for her to do that, but Jesus commended her. Jesus commended her. Um, I suspect you have work to do just like I do. God says this is how the ecclesia function. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Let's pray together.